This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these are opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian, as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Dominic is here. Thank you for coming, brother. Yes, sir. Um, so I am going to just to give a little inter, interlude, prelude, prelude. Yeah, you're going to have to edit that. My brain like shut down there. Uh, <laughs> a prelude. So I get to talk to you all the time, right? Well, not as often as I would like, obviously. We're busy. Um, and you have a wife and stuff, and she gets in the way and all that stuff. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, I get the opportunity to talk to you and listen to you talk about some of the stuff that you do um, in terms of the province, but in terms of some law enforcement related stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to say too much about it because I, I want you, obviously, you're the expert. Uh, mm-hmm. I've always taken a lot out of our conversations about it in terms of like stuff that. So there's this thing as a citizen, civilian, right? This is not a sworn anything, right? Except I swear, that's it. But there's a, a thing that happens where it's like, okay, there's a lot of ignorance, right? Because we don't get to know because we probably don't need to know a whole lot of stuff. And it's mm-hmm. not that you would be telling me stuff I can't know. It's just that the general public has no idea, say, what alert is, mm-hmm. right? Like, And I, I mean, I didn't even know what it stood for until I looked it up before you got here. And I work at like somewhat in that field, right? Like I'm connected Mm -hmm. to it. So I don't know if there's like, I just think there's a lot of stuff that as citizens we could know to probably do better in terms of, I don't know, paying attention to what's going on around us with people on computers, right? So one of the things that came to me was a person that I'm connected to mentioned some stuff And then through conversations that you and I had, I then directed that person back to the law enforcement agency to do what might be necessary to do there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how much is packed into those conversations for me, right? Is that there's a lot more to law enforcement than just the police officers or the the members and what they do. There's also a a part that I'm not going to say, wow. Yeah, I want to say onus. There's like an onus on the citizenship, right? To like um, follow through on our unwritten, well, I guess it's written in the criminal code, but our unspoken agreement, right? Like as citizens, that what we're going to do to help. Because I know there's just like, there's way too much like pedophilia out there. There's way too much like sex assaults. There's way too much of of, um, crimes against people, right? Like of any, of all kinds. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Now that I've totally got us off topic, maybe you'd like to enlighten us because I always feel enlightened, man. So, 
Yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about um, what I do for work and um, the organization and kind of how it all kind of comes together. But mm. um, um, typically, like in, in provinces, we have municipal police forces or RCMP. And I think, you know, what uh, the realization is, there are certain crimes that really don't have boundaries. And so the alert teams are set up in Alberta, Alberta law enforcement uh, response teams to to have a look at uh, problems that, that don't have borders. So uh, typically there's two areas. I mean, there's uh, drugs and gangs and there's teams for that. And then there's child exploitation teams. Um, so... In Alberta, there's a north team and a south team. Uh, the south team is uh, is in Calgary, Calgary base, and there's an Edmonton-based team. And we call those teams uh, ICE, so Integrated Child Exploitation. And so those are, you know, it's uh, it's pretty dark subject matter. I can pretty much uh, clear out a t- cocktail party uh, <laughs> telling some stories about, uh, you know, the work that we do, but... Yeah. Uh, a little bit about, I guess, me and where I came from, um, and maybe what led me to ICE uh, in the province was really having a history with uh, youth intervention, youth prevention, uh, coming from the Calgary Police Service, and you know, having a look at the way in which we interact with youth crime, not only wanting to be uh, responsive to it, but also mm. you know, focusing in areas like intervention, prevention, education. Um, I also went to uh, the Child Abuse Unit in the Calgary Police Service. Um, there, it's really um, an overwhelming amount of work by detectives that are done in and around serious assaults, uh, sexual assaults against children. Mm. And you would think in a, in a big city that um, um, there may not be a need for that many people. But I can tell you with over 20 detectives and over 600 cases a year, uh, it becomes that's just for the child abuse, <clears throat> just child abuse. Wow. Yeah. So and then you know, so moved on from child abuse wow. and uh, now at ICE, and we're really seeing the same sort of thing. So we tend to focus mostly around uh, some pretty dark subject matter, mm-hmm. and so maybe I'll I'll break it down in in terms of um, there's internet luring that mm-hmm. I think most people can wrap their head around. Yeah. And in this day and age with technology and with everybody who has young kids interacting with technology, we realize that there's, you know, always going to be offenders that are going to try to capitalize on um, kids' vulnerabilities and their development in order to um, to lure them. And I think most people kind of get the general mm. concept of that. I think what people probably don't realize around kind of how prolific uh, child pornography is mm. and um, whenever I say that term you know I think it, it requires a little bit of an explanation as well as to what is child pornography so the criminal code I mean if you go to the criminal code and you have a look at the definition there if you have a look at the definition of even something on Google mm. you know you'll find something that really uh, is maybe a little bit wordy or verbose so I'll I'll just kind of recharacterize it for people so we know exactly what yeah. we're what we're looking at so typically um i'll refer to it as um as another term the criminal code calls it child pornography i'll call it um child sexual abuse imagery csam so it's an industry word that's kind of used in different circles but csam really represents um written uh video picture forms 
of sexual assaults against kids. So I think, you know, when people think, you know, of what uh, child pornography might be out there, uh, for the people who really have no clue, and most people really realistically mm-hmm. should not have any clue what yeah. child pornography is all about. Um, but what I can say coming to this team is I had a very little awareness around how much there was, you know, maybe thinking it's a very small segment of, um, of, of offenders. Um, after being in there for, you know, this is my second year, I can tell you that there is no limit to how much you can access on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're really only limited by how fast your internet speed is and the size of your hard drive in which you could download material. Finding this material is relatively very simple. And I think we find a very dark um, set of offenders that are accessing, possessing, and distributing uh, CSAM, Mm -hmm. or that uh, imagery of sexual assaults against kids. So I think, you know, oftentimes when, when I go to presentations or when I'm talking to members of the general public, they think, you know, is this maybe the... Uh, you know, the pictures of schoolgirls and provocative outfits and we're talking, you know, like uh, maybe teenage, um, those kind of images. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just want to make it crystal clear that we're looking at graphic, um, hardcore images of sexual assaults against kids of all ages. And I think, you know, people probably think that maybe doesn't exist in this world. Um, we could make, uh, we typically make an arrest, um, uh, once a week. Sometimes we'll go out and do search warrants twice a week and we're limited by the size of our team. Um, I truly feel that we could probably make an arrest every single day of the week, uh, execute a search warrant, um, every single uh, day of the week, um, in, in and around the Southern province of Alberta. And again, with our North team. So, um, we get hundreds of tips each year. Uh, and I think that was something you alluded to. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, you know, forward in tips. We have uh, cybertips.ca. We have crime stoppers. Mm-hmm. We have national tips. We have referrals from citizens, from law enforcement agencies. And those make up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds mm-hmm. of tips. Um, and in order for us to really get to those, um, we're probably only able to action a fraction of those Mm -hmm. um but we're looking at probably hundreds and hundreds of those offenses so that's kind of the the yeah you're probably okay well we're done with this podcast (laughs) now like you know let's pull the plug i don't want to know anything else uh, yeah no that's i I get that so yeah i bet you do i bet you get that all the time (laughs) yeah you're like was it something i said and they're like yes (laughs) yes it was absolutely so like how do you like i mean you and i have kind of talked about this just in terms of the sheer like overload of numbers, because that was something that I was shocked by, right? Like, like how many active files there could be mm-hmm. and like how many officers would you need to arrest somebody every day for that, right? Like, God, you'd need probably a whole separate police force just for that. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, and so when you guys are evaluating this stuff, um, what what would you what do you guys say to the community? What do you say to the community when you go when you do talks at schools and stuff like that? Um, you know, I think it looks differently for each uh, each environment. Um, you know, I think one of the focuses um, and what I talked about at the beginning was um, 
we want to we're obviously responsive in mm-hmm. terms of the crime that presents itself whether it's a tip and we want to actively investigate those i think you know what's the most important subject matter is trying to trying to get to kids in a intervention prevention education capacity to mm-hmm. you know to because I don't think there's any parent out there that ever thought this could happen to their child, you know, where they're interacting with a piece of technology, mm-hmm. you know, online and all of a sudden it's leading to further conversations. Um, you know, oftentimes we'll have uh, an overwhelming amount of shock from people that they they think, well, how did this happen? Yeah. And, you know, kids, especially at a young age, you know, if we're talking kids who are six years old. They don't have the brain development. They don't have the experience. Uh, they don't benefit from, you know, the experiences that we have. Um, realistically, they're operating, you know, under the belief that everybody is their friend. They don't mm. really have the preconception to think uh, that there's people out there to hurt them. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's, you know, even though parents say they'll have these conversations with kids around, you know, don't talk to strangers, mm. um, we'll find that, kids say well they're not strangers they're my friends these are people who have befriended me online and i think you know there therein lies you know one of the things that we need to do a little bit better Mm -hmm. in terms of education but um technology is such a pervasive part of our lives it's a pervasive part of our kids lives and you know i'll i'll refer to i guess an expression um you know that's uh i think that's been around but when we were growing up uh we were you know, we could go outside and we could play. Uh, when the street lights came on, we came home. And the, the assumption was that when we were in our own home, that we were safe. Mm-hmm. That assumption no longer exists. Um, yeah. That we that we and our kids are, are, when you're interacting with a piece of technology, are always at risk. So I think, you know, that's where we want to spend some time to be, you know, to focus on that intervention and prevention mm-hmm. education piece to to really uh, to drive that home. And, and that was important too, because when you were working directly with the youth, mm-hmm. more so in the youth programs, um, some of the preventative programs, I should say, not, not necessarily, these are obviously programs about youth as well, but when you were working with the SROs and, and that kind of stuff, like what are some of the programs that CPS has in terms of addressing the prevention, intervention, that kind of stuff when they're young, so that maybe they don't turn into that, that mm-hmm. rounder? right? Like, yeah, I think, you know, that seems to be the trend for law enforcement agencies is, is to move away from that. You only see a police officer when you're calling for help, Mm -hmm. um, that we want to move into, you know, areas where we're engaging in conversation, we're engaging youth, um, and families at an early age. So, um, so, you know, I think it's represented in most, reactive organizations or most i guess i would say progressive law enforcement agencies mm-hmm. that they know that they want to have those connection points um so that people can ask questions uh, police officers can be engaged those conversations can be mm-hmm. started you know in terms of um you know either talking to classes uh talking to parents mm-hmm. you know speaking about you know some of these topics that um that that i think you know parents are really looking to educate themselves about yeah Right on. Because I think like what, I mean, you could have no interventions and then we just have more offenders, right? Like, has you, has your experience been with that part of, with that side of things? Have you experienced like lots of turnarounds with kids? Like do the, do the officers report back that it's like it works? 
what's how do you judge whether it works yeah i yeah, I don't know that, uh, that, I mean, in terms of, you could definitely measure some of the, some of the results that these programs have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it depends, I guess, on what, what you're trying to achieve. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, when you're looking at the internet piece and um, this is new for most parents, mm-hmm. uh, most parents didn't grow up with these challenges and that's probably what we hear quite a bit is that, um, you know, they're still trying to figure out, you know, uh, internet and their technology. Mm -hmm. And then their kids are engaged from a very young age and uh, have this kind of almost autonomous uh, use of devices. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, that's where it's an ongoing kind of uh, evolution of of the discussion around, you know, what ways can we interdict in those models so that we don't have, you know, child victims as a result of that. So... So do you do you think that a lack of information at a young age for for kids is going to lead to like more exploitation as they get older because of how like technology is ever like reaches everywhere mm-hmm. like you said we're no longer safe at home and yep. and kids are associating online friends with actual friends mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. some of them might be their actual physical friends but like I don't know about you maybe yeah. you too Darcy like I I have a very there's a very specific separation when someone says, oh, they're on your friends list. I'm like, that's online friends. Yeah. That's, you know, you show me one uh, 12-year-old and I'll probably show you, uh, well, one 12-year-old's Instagram account and I'll show you um, uh, one 12-year-old who has about 1,200 followers. Wow. Um, and, you know, th- that's not unusual to yeah. think, you know, that, that, you know, kids are engaged in these, you know, social media applications. And uh, for any parent out there, um I encourage you to go have a look at your friends list for your kids mm-hmm. and to find out how many friends that they actually have. Go through there and see how many people that you actually know that are in there. And mm-hmm. I'll guarantee you that not all 1,200 of them are actually people that you have met that you know. Yeah. And as you go through, um, you know, in that list, uh, you'll find people that, you know, kids are just saying, well, they've just said that they're friends of a friend of a friend. Yeah. Or they're just people who a friend requested me, so I just mm-hmm. accept that. Um, therein kind of, I think, lies, you know, uh, or a little bit of an eye-opener for people to, yeah. to see how things could go badly. Um, offenders who work in these areas of child luring, they are sophisticated. They are engaged. Mm-hmm. They are motivated. And I think when you reframe it in that sense... Um, their goal is to try to have as ac- to access to as many kids as possible. Uh, whether they're pretending to be a 12-year-old girl, uh, whether they you know, have befriended other friends of kids in order to make mm-hmm. that connection. Hey, I know you because I go to school with a friend of yours. Yeah. Uh, or I'm on a soccer team that belongs to a friend of yours mm-hmm. or so on and so forth. Um, offenders spend hours and hours and hours, days and days and days uh, with an attempt to try to build up their accounts, their credibility in a in a very intentional uh, manner in which to try to engage kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, we talked probably about two separate areas, but I think, you know, yeah, that... I totally that, go back and forth. Yeah. And <laughs> so, I mean, that... You know me, though. So. <laughs> that probably, you know, defines kind of, I think, or, or puts the gravity of really what a luring case is. And mm-hmm. then I think, you know, it's not beyond, you know, the, the grasp of people to think, why would an offender try to do that? Why yeah. would an offender try to be a 12-year-old girl? Uh, why would they befriend my 12-year-old Only daughter? Only one reason. 
I think, you know, we can kind yeah. of, uh, we can kind of, uh, you know, figure that piece out. And I bet you the reason it goes back and forth, those two different things, like from ice to uh, being in prevention and all that kind of stuff is because I bet you at the high school level or the junior high level or the whatever level it is, luring is probably the most common that kids have to deal with. This is what I'm kind of assuming from not knowing, right? Like, cause yeah. I, I not yeah. got on there for that purpose. So. And I think, um, and probably, you know, just to be fair to, you know, uh, technology has different risks at different ages. So at yeah. six years old, I think the risk looks very different. Um, but maybe what I can ask you is what do you think happens with, uh, teenagers? What is the major risk that we see with teenagers between, I think between the ages of, 13 and well if we say youth maybe 17 years old like anything sort of what would you think would be that major risk yeah sex drugs yeah so i mean kids are starting you know um in that age group starting to you know uh in terms of child development working on interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. working on friendships working on intimate relationships and now we're seeing that that largely occurs with an online presence and so, you know, one of the, the trends that ICE teams are seeing across the world is the amount of self-exploitation material that's generated from kids. Wow. And so that is, you know, just to, to, to put a definition on, on that, that is where kids are using their own pieces of technology to record uh, mm-hmm. themselves or to share images, intimate images, and sometimes and that can look very differently right yeah uh there's 17 year olds that are sharing intimate images uh with with people uh there's 13 year olds 12 year olds 10 year olds that are recording those mm. uh, eight year olds six year olds <sighs> who are recording themselves naked online posting it to youtube posting it to snapchat uh sending images um wow. you know around six with, years old dude yeah and you know wow. like i think Therein lies, you know, I think the the level of sophistication which you see, Mm -hmm. you know, a a six-year-old knows what a YouTube account is. A six-year-old knows how to, you know, uh, oftentimes have their own channels or posting to their own channel, playing video games. And that's where, you know, uh, whether it's by innocent intent Mm -hmm. or whether it's uh, as a result of somebody intentionally trying to to elicit uh, activity from a six-year-old. We, li- we live in that age. We live in the age where, you know, uh, kids are going to be, um, uh, I mean, I, I think we see those social media apps where mm-hmm. kids are sending uh, naked pictures to other kids. Um, sometimes there's, an, uh, there's a, an extortion point of view and oftentimes we'll get a lot of complaints like that. The kids are being extorted. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes we'll get, you know, complaints that nude images are being circulated around schools. You send it to one person, wow. but kids really don't have that sort of, again, that cognitive brain development or the experience to know that one naked picture is going to be sent to one person that shared with another person that resides and that spreads like wildfire mm-hmm. uh, across schools. Um, yeah. And once you, have that naked image that's out there um you know we're we're getting into those conversations where we can't delete the internet that picture resides forever um and the 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 scariest thing is to think that that image falls into the hands of an ice offender Mm -hmm. uh, who might share that image within their communities might share it within dark web or chat groups or Mm -hmm. websites that are specific to child exploitation 
So something that starts off as potentially an innocent image ends up being something that could be replicated yeah. uh, hundreds of thousands of times. Oh my God, man. So working with these offenders, obviously you're not working with them. You're arresting them and dealing with the offenders. But do you, are you aware of any programs in Canada that actually help rehabilitate like people who are, are considered pedophiles or like, is there anything like that in Canada that you guys have to even like as an option? Um, there is definitely, I mean, there's definitely programs that are working, you know, even in Calgary and most institutions, um, you know, to look at, try to rehabilitate all, I'll probably won't render my personal opinion Mm -hmm. about what I, what I think that looks like, but, um, well, cause I'm not even aware of these programs, right? Like, and if you, if we think about it, most of us probably think that when, when they go to jail, they just go to jail mm-hmm. and because it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot available because when they come, when the, usually when they come back out, they reoffend. Not always, of course, but mm-hmm. usually they reoffend, right? Like what, do you know what the recidivism rate is for sex uh, offenses or offenders or? No, I probably will stay away from kind of qu- quoting some yeah. research, but I think generally that that is the feel in which I kind of get um, yeah. that, you know, we see multiple people that are reoffending. Yeah. And I guess I'll leave it up to, you know, people's um, interpretation uh, about, you know, if you have somebody that is, that is, entrenched in viewing material uh, of, of exploitation around kids, mm-hmm. um, would it, con- you know, d- does it make a, are you concerned about the level of offense if they're looking at infants, if they're looking at toddlers, if they're looking at four-year-olds? Uh, what we find typically with our offenders is they're very, very specific around the types of images that they're looking for. Yeah. They're looking for girl pictures uh, between the ages of six and 10. That is their category. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely some people that have different categories, but, you know, again, you know, uh, looking at the specific type of material that they are, I'll leave it up to somebody to think, you know, would you leave, uh, a, uh, a girl in the presence of that person? Would you feel comfortable if you knew that material, um, that they were only looking at images online? I think the, it's, it's natural to, to feel that there's likely a progression of offenses that occur mm-hmm. um, and that as you kind of move down that spectrum, uh, probably intuition says that it's it's harder and harder to come back from some of those things. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's pretty much the same for other things too, right? Like whether it be drugs as well. The more I've seen people relapse, the less likely it is they're going to stay, right? Mm-hmm. Because eventually it just gets really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you lose your hope. Right. Yeah. And when hope's gone, there's no reason to do it anymore. Yeah. And this is a very, uh, this is a very polarizing crime, yeah. you know, especially within a uh, criminal subpopulation, but also within our, you know, mainstream population, mm-hmm. there is obviously a lot of, um, anger that occurs around people that are, that are, uh, convicted of these types of mm-hmm. offenses. And why we speak of that, you know, um, uh, when you look at other types of offenders, uh, you're, you're looking at uh, lots of other different kinds of serial offenders for crime. You might start off from one type of crime, progress into another sort of crime. 
you know, maybe stolen cars as a youth progresses into something like break and enters at an mm-hmm. older age and then break and enters like, you know, whatever is motivating that behavior. But you might move through different kinds of crime, you know, fraud or white collar crime as fraud is typically not committed yeah. by 16 year olds, but typically, you know, within a segment of offenders. What we find with our ICE offenders is they typically don't have a criminal record. These aren't people that have generally popped up on the radar that you could look and say, okay, this person is a criminal. They've just moved into this type of crime. That's probably not what we're seeing. They're they're into this type of crime and typically uh, only arrested for crimes in and around, and I say generally. But when we make the vast majority of arrests, these aren't people that you know, are hardened uh, criminals yeah. that have long criminal records. They are very specific in the typology mm. and the crime in which they're occurring. So it wouldn't be unreasonable, you know, to see some prior allegations or some sort of like uh, conduct around children mm. or some sort of uh, offense or history around that. But uh, very specific to offending against kids and um, likely no criminal record. Mm-hmm. And I think that is scary. Like, I think that's scary because it's almost like there's nothing and then a blip, right? Mm-hmm. And then the blip goes away and there's a blip. Mm-hmm. And like you guys have, they, they can hit and miss, right? You can't hit and miss. You got to catch that blip, right? Yeah. When it comes up. Um, have you have you noticed like a, an escalation of ICE offenders or other offenders in terms of these crimes against kids? Do they, do they, t- tend to escalate like does it tend to go from like watching seeing pictures to videos to luring or or how does that work or is there even like a normal progression um yeah i don't know and and probably there's maybe some similarities to drugs Mm -hmm. right like is there you know progression or or you know something in that i I think intuition probably tells us likely that there is yeah there is anecdotal maybe yeah there is i mean i what i can probably speak to more so is that um, as technology becomes more proficient, I mean, when you think about really what technology is afforded, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at it from my, uh, f- from the experience in which I have, which, um, you know, you're looking at these types of crimes, but the invention of a digital camera, mm-hmm. what does that mean in terms of, you know, where, where this crime went, right? Because I think, you know, when you, when you look at hard drives, when you look at encryption, when you look at digital photography, mm-hmm. these are all things in which our offenders, you know, can capitalize yeah. on, um, as technology increases, as, you know, um, interconnections or, or, uh, or specific chats or channels are created for like-minded offenders to share this material it's pretty easy to see that as technology continues to increase as you know people think that they can take precautions to safeguard their identity Mm -hmm. um, all of this creates um, really perhaps uh, a little bit of a catalyst you know for somebody who can go out and find as i said at the beginning uh, you're only limited by you know how much how how deep you want to dig into the internet mm-hmm. and how much material you can offload. And so, so we've had offenders that just have, um, you know, a small collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I, I'll maybe just quantify that to say what is a big selection. Uh, but we've had offenders that have over 500,000 pictures or videos, you know, on devices, you know, that we've discovered inside their homes. Yeah. 
So you would think, how is that possible? How is that possible, right? Yeah. How how can somebody a find that much material, yeah. but download that material? But then again, I guess you know, getting back to you know the with technology, but that also all of these things provide a catalyst for an offender to take pictures of kids, yeah. uh, and then upload that to uh, mm-hmm. to different people. Um, perhaps you know, in the nineteen seventies looks totally different in terms of that type of crime right uh just when you take away that technology piece but you you know i think your question was you know like do do we see this type of crime progressing Mm -hmm. while while we have you know this uh as technology continues to increase uh, i think you know my opinion would be that yeah we're going to see you know an Mm -hmm. escalation of that we see an escalation of cyber crime generally all around the world and this is another area in which I think there's going to be, you know, the continual the um, growing of that. Yeah. Yeah. And what that looks like. Jeez, man. Holy crap. I don't even know what to say right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a lot, that's, right? That's normally what I get. And then yeah. normally there's people walking out of the room and I'm the last person <laughs> left at the cocktail party because somebody's like asked a question, oh, what do you do for work? And then yeah. I'll, you know, give them like a little bit of a story about what I do. And then people are like, oh, that's really horrifying. Thanks for sharing that. So yeah, your name was yeah. Tom, right? I'm out of here. Yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's like it, it, I just think that more of the things that we need to hear are often things we don't want to hear about, right? And, and like back in when I was a kid, Nobody talked about any of it, none mm-hmm. of it, because when you talked about it, people were like, whoa, shh, mm-hmm. you don't want to wreck his reputation. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm five years old, motherfucker. So what, what kind of reputation do we need to protect of that person, right? Mm-hmm. But we were told that we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So um, in seeing, that's one of the reasons why I like talking about it. Like, mm-hmm. and not, I don't like talking about it because the subject matter is positive. That's not why. Well, I like talking about it because I, I want to take the stank out of that shit, Right. Because there's kids that were just like me, right? They're going to grow up and they're going to be like, I can't talk about this. Until they hear, um, this is where I kind of, I guess, how my brain tied in the the working in the prevention and the intervention stage versus always in the punitive, right? Is because you're going to get some of those young people that aren't going to offend, right? This, And I don't know how you measure that. You'll have, they'll have to do the 20-year studies or whatever when they come back, right, to people that, they, that they've worked with. Um, to really see if that's a fact or not. But I mean, you and I both know, if we just take a wild guess, chances are a small percentage of those kids are not going to offend that you work with in the school level, right? Mm -hmm. They may not ever grow to be offenders because they might not get victimized because they're getting information. Right. Right. And so it's kind of like, I'm a big fan of both of those, right? Big fan of the punitive for the offenders but i'm a huge fan of that intervention piece with the kids mm-hmm. in the schools mm-hmm. right because then i mean then we have an opportunity to actually maybe impact it in a positive way right mm-hmm. it may be 50 years from now when we mm-hmm. see the result of that stuff right but mm-hmm. i mean we're not going to necessarily see that result right away unless you guys have seen that no, I, I I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, these are these are difficult crimes, um, mm. and I I think at at certain ages, I don't know that that kids even really have the uh, experience to know that they've been victimized at mm. some points, um, and to know that you know that potentially what is going on within their own homes isn't normal. Mm. 
and you know that's shocking in itself um because i think you know we we always look at it from an outside perspective saying well it's, it's clearly you know um clearly something's happening within that household mm-hmm. and you know it's it's a shame that the kids couldn't have found somebody to reach out and talk to um you know we want to make sure that we're engaging with kids and you know uh and giving them options to know that there are responsible adults within mm-hmm. their lives. Um, teachers can be those people, mm-hmm. um, people within their families that they know, uh, elders um, or other people, um, you know, around them. Uh, but the police officers as well. Mm-hmm. I think we want to try to move away from the fact that you know the police are uh, these scary people that you know, mm-hmm. uh, but they're more reframe that as police as your helpers uh that people you can reach out to and let them know if something's happening that you're um that you're unsure of or you're getting a weird feeling about yeah well and that's just right there right like you don't have to be 100 percent certain to talk to somebody if you're feeling something right like you you don't have to know for sure why you're feeling it Mm -hmm. to talk about it and i think I don't know about yourself, but I encountered even me, but lots of people just don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Not because they just don't have the opportunity. They don't feel safe, right? They don't feel safe that they can talk about it and make mistakes talking about it. Yeah. Does that make any sense? For sure. And then you add yeah. on, you know, maybe some uh, cultural elements as well that, yeah. you know, that there's uh, there's going to be things that you you don't, uh, whether it's embarrassment or, or bringing shame or, mm. you know, or things that are... Or, or layering onto that, that, uh, that really make it difficult for, for kids to come forward. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I just want, I appreciate what you do, man, for a living and, and how hard it must be to do that. Um, yeah. I, is there anything else you can tell us about, man, in terms of, uh, anything else you want to tell us about? Um, if you were going to give a, if you're going to tell Darcy and I <laughs> how we could best, um, I don't know, uh, help prevent something like something like this happening with a kid that we knew or so. I don't know, even know how to word that really. Yeah. I think we're going to learn. And I think, you know, that's where, you know, parenting, it becomes super complex Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's difficult to keep up with technology. I, I don't really have any hard and fast rules, but you know, like most, you know, elements of parenting, uh, staying engaged and knowing what your kids are up to is key. Um, especially with technology, um, you know, what happens with, uh, technology in a kid's room behind a closed door, Mm -hmm. um, you know, should be explored and, you know, known about by parents. Um, definitely there's lots of good internet safety information out there. Mm -hmm. Um, so all you really have to do is even just start down a simple path of Googling, you know, internet safety and precautions for kids. Um, but I think, you know, the, the number one thing that I could say for parents is know what social media apps your kids are on. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many, a lot of these social media applications, uh, typically you have to be over a certain age in order to join. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know that that's, you know, removing technology away from kids. Uh, and as I, I, I spoke about, technology becomes such a pervasive part of their Mm -hmm. lives. It becomes such a pervasive part of their uh, development with peers and, and, you know, as they grow up. But I think, you know, parents, um, 
knowing what their kids are up to, mm-hmm. knowing what their passwords are, uh, knowing, you know, who they're chatting to and being able to have kind of that uh, interaction with your kids around that piece of technology. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is, um, there is not a single per- parent that I've talked to that is not shocked or horrified that something has gone dramatically wrong. Mm-hmm. And we want kids to be able to feel safe, you know, not feeling that they've made a mistake yeah. um, or that something's happened online. Um, but it can happen so quickly. And uh, I would say that, you know, just engaging with your kids, having those conversations, knowing what they have uh, and how they're interacting with the Internet, mm-hmm. I think is key. Key, man. Like, And I, I remember hearing like when the Internet was young, you guys remember – there used to be all this stuff about kids' safety on the internet, like when it was young. And I haven't heard much about that anymore. Mm-hmm. It almost seemed like to me, and I'm not a parent, right? You guys are parents. So it seemed like as everyone had their own device, kids included, then that started to shift, right? Because at first parents were like, no, I'm not getting my kid a phone. Like, you don't do this. Like, I didn't have a phone and all this. But now everybody has one. So it's almost like everyone stopped arguing. All the parents stopped trying to pretend like they were going to be able to control this. And they said, okay, now that you have these devices, where did all the security go? Like, where did all the talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that some of you probably do have those conversations. Um, yeah. I haven't heard about it, to be honest. Well, and, you know, it's, you know, oftentimes we're trying to explain things to kids in our mindset with our experience and thinking that it's very common sense. Mm-hmm. You know, if we get a weird, crazy text message from somebody or somebody befriends us on, on social media, you know, we're naturally suspicious as adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a feeling about this. Kids don't have that level of experience, so they don't really uh, have those first layers of defense, you know, mm-hmm. that we've, you know, grown up with. So... Um, so it's, yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and trying to explain to kids, you know, and schools are, are doing a good job with engaging with kids, you know, especially trying to, to form those mm-hmm. proactive things. So in Calgary, you know, there's specific, uh, curriculum pieces that are really touching on digital citizenship for oh, kids, right. Good. And, and knowing that their online identity is going to be something that's going to be around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, taking all maybe the scary things that could happen to you out, out of the internet. Yeah. Also realizing that job applications nowadays, um, how you represent yourself online, all of those things, uh, we're creating almost a digital representation of ourself online. Mm-hmm. And the amount of information that we're putting on there, we also want to be responsible yeah. in teaching kids about that. Trying to explain that to a six-year-old yeah. <laughs> obviously has its challenges. Yeah. Um, but as kids, you know, um, you probably to- found it similar trying to explain it to me. <laughs> You've probably been like pretty close. <laughs> yeah. For sure. But, you know, uh, uh, it's really around, you know, to, uh, parents having those conversations about would you ever uh, need to share a naked image uh, mm-hmm. of yourself online and really thinking that through with kids, yeah. you know, and having that conversation um, putting really some tangibles to it because I think, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's, it's a, it's not something that, you know, parents could even see the full extent to where this goes. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say, you know, looking at starting online with those internet safety tips and kind of like plugging through them and reading them yourself yeah. kind of probably, you know, keys you into what some of the trends are, or what some of the key yeah. themes are, and then trying to relate that to your kids by, you know, having age appropriate conversations. Yeah, no doubt, man. And it's, it's not like, and I'm not like shitting on any parents. Cause I honestly, this stuff changes so fast. How can you keep up with it? Right? Like it's, it's pretty difficult. 
Is there anything else, man, that you can think of that might be helpful for us? Because I think the, the internet safety thing is huge, mm -hmm. right? Like the internet safety thing, and that's something that as a uncle, I wouldn't really have thought of, like mm -hmm. that there's those things going on in school, right? Yeah. I never would have known that. So. Yep. And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, for uh, maybe some things to, to look for in terms of uh, people who are offending against kids, mm -hmm. what we find is, you know, these people are spending an enormous time, an unusually enormous amount of time online. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, well, that in itself doesn't really say anything. Yeah. Uh, very, very secretive around their accounts, uh, very secretive around their computers, um, having things that are kind of locked down. People might have noticed, you know, having multiple different user accounts or emails mm -hmm. or uh, different plugins. Um, so I think, you know, typically, you know, we'll find that for our offenders, um, that is typically the, the biggest things that we're finding that people are kind of, yeah, like the, I kind of noticed that they were spending a lot of time online and that, mm -hmm. you know, they had uh, that unusual amount of, 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 of activity or that seems to be all that they kind of do mm -hmm. uh, is one of the things that we consistently kind of hear. But yeah, um, That's yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, what I always say, encourage people that uh, um, that it, you may not know necessarily that something for sure is happening. Mm -hmm. um, so it's always, you know, if if you do want to make a report, um, if you do want to call in a tip, please know that there's due diligence that goes into that too. Um, just because you say something is happening, uh, the police are, are duty bound to make sure that we're corroborating that information to find out that, you know, that's actually reliable information. I think some people, sometimes people are hesitant because they're not sure mm -hmm. and that's natural. Yeah. So, um, but realizing that there's a lot of information that has to go in, you know, to creating an investigation, mm -hmm. to making sure that that information is, is, is corroborated and credible before yeah. we're actioning that piece. But like all things, they start with one tip with one piece of information. So, yeah. well, and, and that's just that's good to know, right? Because if you're if you're out there and you're a kid and you're thinking, hmm, this seems weird, this is hinky, or you just don't have a good feeling about it, you can always call somebody and ask, mm -hmm. right? You can always call somebody anonymously and ask. Like, yep. Yeah, I imagine you can. There's got to be an anonymous tip line, or yeah, I think for kids, you know, one of the ones that I would say that uh, I'm a, 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 an advocate for and that is age appropriate is uh, CyberTip.ca. Um, there, therein lies, you know, some resources for kids and parents, uh, but also has a reporting feature uh, where you can engage with somebody in order to make those tips. So I think. Yeah. Um, and you know, whether it's in person, uh, I mean, over the phone or, you know, over, um, an email or over, uh, online reporting, mm -hmm. it offers different options, you know, to, to try to connect with people, yeah. uh, so that they can submit tips and they don't have to tell their name, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think, you know, different programs operate differently. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but understanding that if you do, you know, have some concerns around that, just yeah. say so. Yeah. Cause I, I think it's. It's actually good for both of you because if you're, if, I mean, I can imagine if you're just, if you're not sure and you have, nothing's happened to you directly, right? Like that's usually when we're not sure is when it's like somebody else because we weren't there or whatever. Um, but something happens and you're hanky, just, just ask because then you're not going to like spend a good portion of your time thinking that that person's bad if they're not mm -hmm. right. Or, and you're not the vice versa. You're not going to get into, you're not going to be alone with them if they are bad. 
right? Because mm-hmm. you just you just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, reach out, ask questions. This isn't the same day and age as it was before, right? We didn't have, there was no cybertips.ca, right? There was no .ca when we were kids. So That's there right. was 911. There wasn't even like a 266 number, right? Like totally. um, these things have evolved quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're not stuck. If you're not, and you're not alone. If you, if you need to um, ask questions, just ask questions. Yeah. 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 Cool, man. Well, thank you, brother. See, I get lucky when you come on because I get to spend time with my friends. (laughs) So everyone out there is like, man, those guys just talk. They just hung out. Yeah, that's what we did. That's right. (laughs) A couple of comfy chairs, a couple of microphones. That's it, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Right on, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.